Hello, everybody. The Write or Die Show. I am your host, Randy Lee Boslaw. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking to JT Wahlberg. Welcome, JT. So excited to have you on the show. Hi, Randy. Thank you for having me. And just so everybody knows, because JT and I, we were just chatting a little bit before I hit record, and we're really close to each other. We are both in Ontario, Canada. So it's very exciting to have another Canadian on the show. Yes, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, Welland is a great spot. That whole whole region oh. down there is, is amazing. Yes. All right. So tell everybody a little bit about who you are, other than the fact that you're Canadian. Uh, well, I, so we'll skip over the fact that I am Canadian, but, uh, I, I'm an author of a recently published book. I was a restaurateur for many years. I drank way too much for way too long and almost died when I tried to quit. So now I just try to get into conversations with amazing folks like uh, yourself, Randy, about uh, mental health, addiction, recovery, awareness about the entire space. It's time to give back. I spent way too many years uh, without discipline, respect, and, and faith, and uh, being very selfish. So now I take uh, none of it for granted, and I just try to give it all back now. Awesome. So let's take it back to the beginning, I guess. When did you start drinking? I started drinking regularly in my early teens. Okay. I probably tried alcohol for the first time around eight or nine. My folks, uh, you know, mixing drinks for your folks and, yeah. and watching watching the adults mm -hmm. in my life, you know, get uh, get louder, get more red in the face, laugh harder at, at jokes that weren't that funny. And I couldn't figure out why. And I wasn't allowed to drink what they were drinking. So it was yeah. always this sense of intrigue to me. It was very, very normal. And uh, alcohol is very normalized in our lives yeah. in, a, in a very sneaky way. Yeah. So I drank, you know, started smoking pot, doing drugs, doing harder drugs, cocaine, all that sort of stuff until about six and a half years ago. I've been sober. August of this year will be seven years. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. That's fantastic. Um, and then that was a long time then yeah i was 38 when i got sober so i i started drinking all day every day in my early 20s and and didn't look back until my best mate and uh former business partner at the time had a couple conversations with me and said hey man i'm worried about you i think you're gonna die oh so wow yeah i thought uh i would just quit I'd go, I get really drunk one day, wake up the next day, have a hangover and that'd be it. And three days later, I found myself in the backseat of a taxi on the way to the emergency room because my body was shutting itself down. From alcohol poisoning? From withdrawal, okay. DTs. Uh, I hadn't eaten. I hadn't had it. I couldn't even hold a sip of water down. Uh, oh, so all this started on a Monday morning. I woke up. And I just said, I'm not going to drink. By Wednesday evening, I, I was seizing, knocking myself unconscious from hitting my head on the floor, waking up all over the house. Goodness. And uh, a wife, uh, the wife of a friend 
who had been in a 12-step program and she was sober for about two years, she called me and said, you know, tell me how you're feeling. And mm -hmm. I told her and I said, you know, look, Lisa, I don't even know if this conversation is real. Like, yeah, I've been hallucinating. I don't know what is really happening. And she said, you need to get to the hospital right now. So sure enough, I went to the hospital, walked in to the triage area, looked at the triage nurse. She said, you know, hi, how can I help you? I said, hi, you know, my name's John. I think I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in nearly three days. And I don't even know if this is real. And she said, why don't you take a seat? I said, I don't think I can do that. I, I probably won't be able to stand up. And within minutes I was in a, in a, in a room in the ER with IVs and ringer solution and lorazepam to stop me from shaking. And, and, you know, doctors and nurses telling me that I was in a bad way. So. I think that's really important to talk about because so many people don't realize the the symptoms of withdrawal and the fact that withdrawal itself is very hard on your body. Yeah, I didn't realize that alcohol is the only drug that can actually kill you if you withdraw from it incorrectly. Like you can stop doing heroin and you'll you feel crappy for a couple of days, uh, cocaine, the same thing. But with alcohol, you become so physically dependent on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm such a dumbass that I didn't do any research beforehand. Um, you know, my ego was in the way. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought everything would be fine. You know, I there was no thinking, oh, hey, Google or, or YouTube, you know, alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. And, you know, and correct ways to do it again, because my ego was in the way and I, I didn't do that. And I, and I almost died. And yeah. that that was pretty scary for a while. So now, I, like I said earlier, I don't take anything for granted. Yeah, that's really important because. Like, that's why there are spots that are specific for detoxing, because you have to come off of it, like you said, properly. And I don't know. The exact way that it has to be done or anything like that but when I was in college now the other day funny story before I came the other day I was talking to somebody and I realized that I had been out of college for almost 10 years and I was like oh just like the other year and I go oh crap that was like 10 <laughs> years ago so I felt really old that day just had to share that as a little funny side note That's um amazing. In college, I had to do a placement and I actually did it at a drug and alcohol recovery house. So it was after they had went through detox. So I never, I didn't really experience that side of it, but all of the emotional part afterwards of coming off and realizing, oh, I've been doing this with my life for so long or whatever realizations they're coming to, that alone was pretty eye-opening. For myself and there is alcoholism that runs in my family and addictions so um it was kind of neat to be immersed in that recovery atmosphere with them um but yeah a lot of them had went through detox first and then they would come over to the recovery house that's smart that's the the way that everybody should do it and that's the way that i advocate doing it i I look at it like my experience is the cautionary tale. Yeah. Don't don't do what I did because more often than not, you you don't make it out alive. 
that's why it's so important and it's so awesome that you are talking about it so everybody can hear that because it isn't something that's common knowledge. Like I never realized that until I did my placement. I just figured, okay, you quit drinking. All right. And I knew there was emotional and mental stuff that you had to do after, but I didn't realize that the coming off of it itself was going to affect somebody's body so drastically. Yeah, I think people often ask me, you know, like, why did you do it that way? And I said, well, look, look, I didn't have a plan. Um, And if I had looked it up, you know, Google, YouTube or whatever, I, I probably wouldn't have done it. And I'd be dead because I would have just kept drinking. Yep. So essentially, you know, it was the, the right, wrong way for me to, for me, and I, and I stress that to, to anybody that I talk to, for me to get sober. Yeah. I don't recommend doing what I did. I, yeah. I, I highly recommend, you know, reaching out to a friend, a family member, to something like, uh, you know, Center for Addiction and Mental Health, wherever you are. I know there's 1-800 numbers. Heck, hit me up and, you know, I, I'll help you get the professional help that you need because... I wouldn't wish going through what I went through on anybody. Yeah. How long were you in the hospital for? Only about 11 hours. Okay. Because I signed, my, I signed myself out against oh. medical advice. Because, yeah. Because, I, like I said earlier, I'm a dumbass. I, I, again, my ego was, was huge and, and in the way of, of me getting the help that I needed. I yeah. thought, look, just get me out of here. You know, the shaking has, has stopped, you know, to the point where I could like kind of walk around. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to just go home and, and go to sleep. And I could see the look like my sister was there with me. Um, I could see the look on the medical professionals faces when I was like, hey, you know, can can I get out of here? And they were like, look, this, this dude's going to be either dead or back here, you know, sooner than later. Yeah. And, uh, I walked out, I think it was, it was early morning and, uh, my sister and her, her brother-in-law picked me up and they wouldn't let me go home. So they, I went to my mom's and, and I slept in my mom's room and I woke up the next day and I've been sober ever since. I don't work a 12 step program anything like that I just duct tape things that work to my sobriety and I have my own little unique program for for keeping myself sober all right yeah because that's going to be some questions that I've got for you (laughs) definitely and that's really interesting actually that you because I was going to ask do you do a 12-step or did you relapse but obviously you said you know you've been sober since so Luckily, you haven't had a relapse. Um, And I know 12-step programs are huge for people. That was one of the things that uh, was a big part of the recovery house that I was my placement at was a lot of guys were in the 12-step program and going to their meetings. Um, So tell me what what is it that you were using, especially in those early days? Let's start with the early days. What what were you trying? What were you using at that time? Um, The force. (laughs) um which is auspicious i think because today is may the 4th so i know that's why i started laughing may the 4th be with you uh that's very cool 
uh, early days, uh, I literally was just taking it uh, seven seconds at a time. Uh, I would just count to seven, I would take a deep breath and I would move forward and I wouldn't drink. And that's what I just told myself. Okay. I went back to work in one of our restaurants. Uh, so Wednesday, I went back to work uh, the Friday. Mm-hmm. I know the Saturday. And I walked in looking like, you know, an extra from Walking Dead. All the staff were like, what are you doing here? And my business partner was like, what the hell? And I said, look, if I can't get through one shift here at the restaurant, you know, surrounded by all this liquor, wine, and beer, then, I, then I'm done for. I might as well just start drinking again and kill myself. So oh my. literally, I would just... I had a great support system as well, but I would just, when it got real tough, you know, when the monster, I used to call it, when it would rear its ugly head and and try to pull me down, I would just break it right down to count to seven and breathe, move forward, don't drink. Count to seven came from one time when I was a young teen and I was really tripping out on LSD and I thought I was going to die because I took too many drugs. I started to count. And I was like, well, count to 10. And then I counted to 10 and I started to panic. So 10 was too, too many. And okay. then I counted to like five and five wasn't enough because I started to panic. So then I counted to nine then I counted to eight then I counted to seven. I was like, okay, seven works. So if I count to seven and I breathe and I, I, I don't die, then count to seven and do it again. So I took that from tripping out, having a bad trip back then to, and I flipped it into i'll apply this to to stay in sober well that's good taking something into a positive way i I was very confused i'm like seven that's such a odd number to pick right yeah for sure and uh and that worked early days i have like i said a great support system my family was super supportive i went to one 12-step uh meeting an aa meeting and i walked out of there Randy Lee wanting to to get drunk and forget about everything. It was very depressing for me. And I don't I've been told since that that's not generally what meetings are are like. But I'm the kind of person that I'll, you know, I'll try something once. If I like it, then I'm all in on it, like drugs and booze. And if I try something once and it it didn't work for me, then I didn't go back. So, okay, yeah, I just. I just use things tech different that I learned about different breathing techniques, box breathing, that sort of Love stuff. Love box breathing. All right, hold on. Tell everybody about box breathing. So box breathing, you just break it down, picture a box in your head and draw the four sides of it. You inhale for one, two, three, four, hold one, two, three, four, exhale one, two, three, four hold one, two, three, four, and then just keep repeating it. And I, and I know for those folks that might just start this one, two, three, four might be too much. It was for me in the beginning. So I would just start one, two. Uh, now I do one, two, three, four, five. And I apply that to any situation where I, you know, I might feel a little bit of overwhelm. And I got onto that through a guy named Mark Devine. He's an author, uh, retired Navy SEAL. He wrote a book called uh, Way of the Seal, Seal Fit. And he talked about box breathing and that's where I first came across it. Okay. I learned about it in, in yoga and I loved it. Yeah. Brilliant. For sure. Did you ever apply it when you were kickboxing? 
Yes, I'm actually in the middle of rounds because you've only got one minute rest in between the rounds. And within that time, you have to control your breathing, listen to what your coach is telling you, figure out your game plan for the next round all in a minute, which is not a lot of time. So I use it then. And it really, really helps to just have that big breath in, hold it, releasing it. It controls the breathing so quickly, I find. Yeah, for sure. And I, especially in, in a situation like that, uh, you just get like lowering your heart rate yes. is, is key in, in, in most situations in life. And now it's just something that I just do automatically. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself sometimes just relaxing and I'm so relaxed that that's what I'm doing. I'm just breathing very, very slowly, the big breaths. It's great. Yeah, for sure. And other ways that I keep myself sober, I realized that like I flipped the whole script and I said, if anything was, is or was good for me, it shouldn't try to kill me when I quit it. And yeah. that's what alcohol did. So alcohol tried to kill me when I quit drinking it. So it's clearly bad for me. So I, I, yeah. uh, I stopped it. Now I just treat it like poison. Like I don't, alcohol is poison. It does. There's not one positive outcome for me when I when I drink I don't do it it's not a part of my life so I just literally wrote it out of my life that's wonderful I mean I did that with food stuff because I can't have gluten and recently learned that I can't have cow's milk and it's just poison to my body right so I just don't even have it not even gonna think about that stuff that's just gonna make me real real sick yeah for sure I was uh did you notice that it was like it was a lot easier to do what everybody talks about, like reprogramming your brain, like NLP kind of thing. Like when yeah. you literally just change the dialogue in your brain, it, it happened a lot easier. I thought like, there's no way I can do this. And yeah. it just, it was actually quite simple, simpler than I, I had ever imagined. Yeah. I found when I would try, so with the kickboxing, right, you have to be a certain weight. And my old coach had me at a very low weight class. So trying to lose weight then was so difficult. And I've developed some really bad relationships with food that e even still now, sometimes I have to work through, but you know, that's something. Um, and uh, when I would just try to do it because, oh, I need to be this weight. It was very, very difficult to stay away from say cheese or bread or whatever. When I found out that it actually was making me sick and that's why I was feeling so badly, it was so much easier because it wasn't, oh, I, I'm taking it away from myself because of this need for a weight loss. I'm taking it away from myself because it's bad for me. And I don't know what it was about that, that change in the script, like you said, but thinking it's bad for me, it makes me sick. It's poison to my body. I don't even crave it. Like, I don't want it. I, mm -mm. yeah, like, yeah, like you said, it, it's, it, it ended up being much easier than I thought it was going to be. Which is really important um, for somebody who's going through that, that it, it's going to be hard, right? Like, let's not, let's not joke ourselves here. Like for a lot of people, it's very, very difficult. Relapse rates are very, very high. But the nice thing is, even if you relapse, you could try again, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it's a cycle a lot of times. You can try again. But what's great is this changing the way you think about it. Don't think about it as um, 
you know, I can only use my personal experience. I don't like to put words in other people's mouths. So if I'm talking about bread, right, I'm not going to think about it as I'm denying myself bread. I'm thinking about it as I'm keeping myself healthy because bread makes me thick, sick. Yeah, you're, and you're hundred percent right. Like, not to diminish anybody's situation, we're all we're all different in that regard. But I think it's good just for for you and I having this conversation and, and your your listeners just to hear that you know well might give somebody a pause and say well hey maybe it's not as hard as I think it is to eliminate uh, dairy or to redefine my relationship with alcohol when it comes to you know a craving or or a potential relapse yeah yeah it's it's i really like that change in the way that you think about it change that relationship in your brain you're not denying yourself something that everybody enjoys you're keeping yourself healthy because it makes you sick or whatever yeah for sure you i feel better and i'm i'm a better person when i'm not putting drugs and booze in my body which is fabulous because a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, everybody <laughs> is better when they're not putting booze and drugs into their body. Yeah, it's true. And, and you, I just think about like what I talked about it earlier about how normalized it is. Yeah. Like every situation in, in your life, alcohol can be present and usually is, whether yeah. it's a celebration, whether it's a, you're grieving at a funeral, whether it's a reward now, every yeah. movie, TV ad, television show, magazine ad, it's all some sort of- Especially a middle-aged mom coming home after work, grabbing the right. bottle. Like that's in almost every single sitcom. Yeah, and, it, and it's astonishing. Like liquor, wine and beer is like a $500 billion a year industry. We have tons of vineyards around where I live. Like, oh, you beautiful. And you're going to see all of them. And yeah, they're gorgeous. But ultimately, I do not need a lot of bottles of wine. No. And it, it, alcohol, when I did some research for, for the book, it, I found that like, alcohol actually does the opposite of relaxing you. It, act, yeah. it, it cr cranks up your heart rate. And it gets all these other things going that do the opposite of relaxing your physical body. When you yeah. could, if you just, instead of drinking, if you just sat down, were still and took a moment with your breath, that would have the actual effects that you're looking for when it came to relaxation, as opposed to, you know, reaching for a beer, a glass of wine or, or whatever it is, but we're conditioned through all of the marketing to, to go there every single time go exactly. to a hockey game you know you have a beer mm -hmm. like um i've been told by a lot of my friends who are part of book clubs uh that it's just an excuse to get together and drink yeah like when you don't have like midweek when you know saturday nights hockey night in canada sunday's football you know when all these things nba and then yeah. on the random night when none of those things are on they have their book club and you know, it's great that they're reading, but they're just sitting around crushing bottles of wine. Exactly. So in your pre-interview questions, I read that while you were using, while you were drinking, 
you didn't really experience the stigma, but now that you have stopped and you're sober, you are noticing stigma. Yeah, I think, again, because of, you know, all that marketing and the conditioning that we went through and the industry that I was in, you know, food service, hospitality, restaurants, liquor, wine and beer was always around, mm-hmm. you know, I at any restaurant I ever worked in, you got off work and, and you drank and, and then even when I was using drugs and alcohol, if you declined back then, it was always like, why, what's wrong with you? You're not feeling well, you're driving. And now wow. it's even worse. Like if I go into a situation where I, I don't know a lot of people and I get offered an alcoholic beverage and I turn it down, I feel like folks put me on front street and it's just a 10 minute quiz show about why am I not drinking? Why am I not? And I don't want to be a total jerk and be like well because that's poison and you're poisoning yourself and i don't do that so yeah be a total downer at the party is not what i'm looking for but it's 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 really hard and i find myself having to lie sometimes and i don't like that because if i start lying then i'm gonna start making unhealthy decisions when it comes to drugs and booze in my, in my own life so i'll yeah. tell you know oh i you know i'm I'm driving is usually a really good one, but then you get, oh, you can have one. Oh, I know. Everybody always tries to have one when, and again, I always use from my life experience. And since I'm not much of a drinker to begin with, then I can't talk about it from that way. But um, when I first started staying away from gluten, right. And it was, and some people go, well, there's only a little bit in it. Um, there's no such thing as a little bit of it. It either is or it isn't. And I can't even have a little bit of it, right? So the same kind of concept. You can have just one. No, zero. And we shouldn't be quizzing people on their decision whether or not to have alcohol. I mean, I've had that happen if I've been at a party and it's, I just don't feel like drinking. I'm, I just don't want to, right? Because it's not something that I do very often. Um, I mean, I had some bottles of wine given to me for our wedding. That was nine years ago that I regifted <laughs> five years after having them because they just, they just would sit there. Um, but yeah, we should not be asking people why not you should just go. Okay. Yeah. Like I make a joke and it's. It goes like this, like if you offered me heroin and I said no, you'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah. So it should be the same when you offer me a Grey Goose martini and I say no, you should just be like, okay, okay cool. Yeah. You know, can, can I get you a water? Can I get you a juice? You know, exactly. can I get you something else? But I think a big part of it is, you know, it, I become a, a mirror for someone else because they see that I'm not drinking. They start questioning well, why am I drinking? Do I really want to drink? So they've got, you know, in their own mental health space, they start asking all these questions that they probably don't want to discover the answers to. I never thought about it that way before. And folks, yeah, they get defensive and stuff. So I've even gone to like open bar before all of this stuff. I've been to some charity functions and stuff like that. And I've just gone and had the the bartender pour me like a sparkling water in a rocks glass with ice and a lime. So it looks like a cocktail. 
And then when people are like, hey, man, can I get you a drink? I'm like, oh, no, I'm okay. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you shouldn't fortunate. Yeah, you shouldn't have to pretend, but that's a really good way to do it. You shouldn't have to, but I like I like the yeah. solution you came up with. Because I, I I could see in these in some of the folks' eyes when they're questioning me, like the pain. Mm-hmm. And I, I just did I I never wanted to put anybody in that in that situation, like put them right on front street all of a sudden we're at a party and everything's supposed we're supposed to be having fun. And then yeah. now we're having a conversation about why it is that I don't drink and why and they want me to tell them if I think that they drink too much. Like I'm I'm not in that space. I'm I'm just an idiot who got sober the wrong way, wrote a book about it. I'm not an alcohol addictions recovery counselor, psychologist, yeah. anything like that. Like I'm a dumbass who just happened to live through something. So Yeah, I love how you just you you own it. You're just like, yeah, I was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Like I I like the ownership. Well, yeah, that's a big part of it is, you know, and I think that's a lot of reason, like, uh, it's a big part of what I think a lot, or why I think a lot of folks relapse is because they don't own it. Yes. Yeah. So Actually, I was talking to my aunt about that the other day, because like I said, there's some addictions in my family and we're, and I was saying, well, they're not ready to stop doing what they're doing because they're not ready to face their emotions or to own their own actions. Because once you stop using, you can't deny what you've done, right? Like that's part of it. You need to take ownership for your choices. Yeah, accountability is a big part of it for sure. And I, and like I had to learn, like without a, a structure like an AA twelve step, a sponsor, or anything like that, I had to learn all that stuff myself. So I had to hold myself accountable. I had to regain my discipline and my respect for myself and I had to forgive myself for all all the shitty things that I did you know from stealing my sister's allowance to go buy weed when I was 15 all the way up until the last you know couple of weeks that I was still using and I was putting my uh, my business partners in a bad way because I was you know, it was getting sloppy. Yeah. So uh, what would you tell somebody who's listening right now? And I'm going to, I'm going to paint you a picture. The person's sitting here, they're watching this episode. They've got their glass of wine with them and they're watching this. Now they're staring at their glass of wine and staring at the screen and then staring at their glass and wondering what should I do now? That's a good question, Randy. Yes. That's not a question that I, I've been asked. Uh, Try to ask those different questions here on the show. No, that, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I would say, don't beat yourself up about it. Take a breath, and reach out to that person that has been a hundred percent honest you with you in your entire life, and ask them how they feel about your alcohol consumption. And take a minute to appreciate the fact that it's it's not the end of the world. You can redefine your relationship with alcohol and have a 
have a better mindset moving forward when it comes to your life. It doesn't need to play that big of a role in it. Even if you're just a casual drinker, you can take a step back. I would say, look at a program like, uh, read a book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, where she did all the heavy research when it comes to what alcohol really does to our bodies, physically, mentally, emotionally. And then she has a program called the Alcohol Experiment. I would say to that person, you know, check that out, but reach out to your number one trusted friend or family member and just say like, hey, I'm thinking this, how far off base am I? That's great advice, yeah. And where can people find your book? Uh, the book is available everywhere. Uh, Amazon, Google Play, Apple, wherever you purchase your your books, electronic versions, hard covers, soft covers. You can check it all out at uh, jtwalberg.com. You can go there. All the links are, are on my website. And the audio book will be uploaded tomorrow for those those audience members. I love yeah, audio books. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll send you a copy as soon as it gets up there because it'll be on uh, Audible, iTunes, uh, the whole ACX platform. So anything to do with, with Amazon will be there as well. I read the book, so I apologize for that. Got to listen to <laughs> got to listen to this idiot talk for that was going to be my question i i like when the authors read their own book yeah i do too randy lee honestly i get it in fiction it's a little different yeah yeah because you can you can do some stuff and there's some amazing actors and voice actors oh, yeah, out there yeah. that are doing but when it's non-fiction yeah it it uh it was really important that i that i read it uh, it was an awful experience, yeah. awfully awesome, <laughs> just like writing it, but it was worse because, you know, I'm reading my own writing out loud. And there were some times when I'd, I'd read something that I'd written and I'm like, this guy's a piece of shit. Or I'd read something and I'd start laughing and we'd have to cut. And Frank Russo, the producer, he'd be like, why are you laughing? I'd be like, because I'm like, this is really good. Like whoever wrote this book, oh my God, they're a genius. And he'd start laughing. Oh, you. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, so yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the most terribly awesome experiences I've ever had minus, you know, those three days of almost dying and, yeah, and yeah. going to get, going to the ER. So it was, it was, it was fun. That is awesome. Yeah. I've been working on my own audio book for my um, one that I released this year and it's getting it's getting close. It's not tomorrow like yours, but it's it's getting close to almost done. Yeah, it's a fun experience, isn't it? Uh, I've got uh, thoughts of a wanderer on my reading list. Oh. Um, after when when we started our whole initial uh, email invitation, you know, yeah. hey, do you want to be a guest on my podcast? I think I'd be a good guest in your podcast. When we started that whole conversation, I was like, oh wow, and then I, you know, reading your bio and stuff. And uh, Thoughts of a Wanderer is, is uh, up there. I think I got a couple more to read. I used to read six books at a time. I was that lunatic that. Oh, I can't. I'd re- yeah, I'd read I can only couple. read one at a time. 
Yeah, like I'd read a couple fiction to escape, some nonfiction all yeah. over the place. So I had to I had to slow that down, and now I read uh, generally one nonfiction and one fiction. So I have that. So. Oh no, I will read one book at a time and listen to one book at the same time. But yes, read two at the same time. That's cool. Well, yeah. Do you find it's it's interesting reading your own writing out loud? Yeah, sometimes I'm reading it and I go, "Why would I write it that way?" And so I, I'll yeah. write it in a different way, and I'm like, "Eh, I'm the author. I can do that." <laughs> yeah, I did. I I noticed that too, where the producer he'd stop me and he'd be like, "That's not what it says," and I'm like, "Yeah, well, but I think this say if I say it this way, it's a little better." And he's like, "No, no, no. We're gonna." He's like, "Let's let's stick to the to the, to the script," and I'm like, "Okay." No, no, I'm the author. I'm deciding that I'm reading it differently. Yeah, it's only yeah. happened in a few a few spots, and it doesn't change the context of what exactly I'm right. Yeah, I think now though, I've learned when I'm going to do my next one in the editing process to read it out loud within that editing process. Oh wow, get out of my head because I was thinking that just a couple weeks ago. I was no. like, well, if I sat, you know, alone and read out like during the editing process, read it aloud, I'd probably have the same thoughts as when I was reading the audio book. Yes, exactly. So for, yeah, for my next, uh, my next book, I, I definitely think that uh, that's something that I'm going to do. Yeah. On the same wavelength must be that Canadian blood. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. Ontario kids. That's right. Uh, and where can people follow you? Uh, so like the website, it's, uh, I'm at JT Wahlberg on all the social media platforms. I not the biggest fan of Facebook. I'm not very active there, but Instagram is where, uh, where I'm most active, uh, where I post everything where you can hit me up in the direct messages. If you have any questions or anything like that, like I said, if, you know, if you don't have anybody in your life that you can 100% trust to tell you the truth you know reach out to me and tell me how you're feeling and you know I'll, I'll point you in the right direction to to get some help with how you know helping you redefine your relationship with alcohol wonderful and those links will be down in the description below so you can very easily uh, follow jt and grab a copy of his book as well so thank you so very much for sharing and talking so honest and open about it all and owning your stupid. <laughs> Those are your <laughs> words, right? That's, <laughs> That's true. Thank you for having me on, Randy. The, it, we, I had a great time. It was a great conversation. What a great interview that was. Love talking to JT. Um, if you want to hear some more conversation, uh, head on over to our Patreon page, become a patron, where I will be posting some behind the scenes footage of our conversation that we continued having. And I have to say it was pretty interesting as well. Make sure you hit those links down below, follow JT, show him some love, hit that like and subscribe button here at that channel, share out the show to everybody that you know. And we also have a merch store. You can pick up some cool designs and 10% of those proceeds go to support the Canadian Mental Health Association. And remember, the only way to end the stigma of mental health is to speak openly and honestly.